Welcome back to the Dadcore Cinema Club. It's a show about the cable classic, that movie you might have seen a hundred times on AMC on a Saturday afternoon. These are the, I don't know. I can't do the intro. We don't have an intro anymore. The, I'm cutting it out. You want me to do the intro? I'm too excited to get gladiated to do an intro. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm your host, Brandon. With me is Charlie. That's me. Strength and honor, Brandon. What we record on this podcast will echo for eternity. That's right. Uh, we are just shadows and dust. Shadows and dust. Entering the Coliseum right in the middle of it is <sighs> our microphone stands. <sighs> Pop filters. Kill, Crowd's going kill, wild. Kill. Kill. And then we get killed. Yeah, they were I can't kill. I can't fight a lion. I was putting my thumb Or a tiger. Down. It's a tiger, actually. The the I I have a feeling the thumb up, thumb down bit is going to be something that I'm going to keep doing, even though it does not translate at all to a podcast. You just got to put like audio descriptions. It's like when movies have alternate audio that describes yeah, 37 the, the event. We're just going to put in a robot voice that says, Charlie's thumb is down. It's just going to be in the notes with timestamps. At 1048, <laughs> Charlie sticks his thumb up. We'll just uh, we'll, we'll distribute this podcast with like a pop-up book, a book you can read along with us. Uh, maybe it'll come in a tape recorder, like you know, like the little Ewok books mm. I used to have as a kid. That sounds nice. Yeah. So, uh, what's a, what's your what's your story with Gladiator? Is it a uh, one you're real familiar with? Gladiator, I have seen. It's one of those movies I don't know how many times I've seen it, and I've like, seen it infinite times on cable. It's one of those things where it stops being a movie. You've seen it so many times, mm-hmm. uh, but I also haven't seen it in like probably ten, fifteen years at this point. So. I had forgotten almost everything outside of the gladiator. Yeah, perfect. And there's a lot. There is a lot. It really uh it doesn't disappoint on the on the gladiating. But yeah, I've also seen this movie a shitload of times. It's one of the like platonic movies for me. Like if you ask a little kid to draw a house, they would draw the little square with the windows on it or like draw a car, you get the little kid car drawing. For me in my mind when you say the word movie, something like gladiator is what forms it it's it lives in the world of forms yeah it's it's one of those like i mean it's one of those classic movie objects it's the historical sand uh sword and sandals uh epic yeah historical For the, but it's the one that air quotes it's the around. one that came out in this is a hundred percent historical yeah accurate. this is all really happened all of it happened maximus is real he was yeah in my heart maximus decimus meridius yep. commander of the legion armies of the north Father I was reading about the actually son. making of this movie and uh like they made up that name on the on on set like they didn't have they had 30 pages of script when they went on set and Russell Crowe was like that's how names like Maximus Decimus <laughs> Meridius came about it just sounded really good man it's so funny <laughs> that, that like something of this scale they were apparently just like writing on the fly they yeah. rocked but like that makes some sense for like that's how Tom Cruise's movies are made a lot these days but those movies are giant set pieces with like just an excuse to get there that the plot just it gets you there so it doesn't matter this is like this epic historical drama that's trying to say something about like democracy and violence yeah and they didn't they're just like we know what he's gonna gladiate we'll figure it out yeah well yeah like i don't think this movie really has a very coherent uh like political voice but the fact that it is anything like comprehensible is a miracle (laughs) It's amazing. But yeah, it's the it's the story of Maximus. He's a general. The the toughest and coolest guy to ever live in Rome. 
the Spaniard. Everyone fucking loves him. Ooh, he's the coolest. Everyone knows he's the coolest and the nicest and the best guy. I mean, it's like, it's literally, he is, and I guess that's actually because it's the historical analog. I mean, he's like a wrestler who comes out and the crowd pops. Yeah. You know, he's the Stone Cold Steve Austin of his time. Except for he's not like playing to that at all. He's pure like a baby. He's in all things other than war making. He's a fucking gigantic dumbass idiot. Yeah. He's also just like a giant like cipher for cool guy. The audience is going to love. And you know what? Yeah. Yeah. It's Crow. Kind of do. He's just. It's Crow. Brooding. This is Crow and like his hottest hot shit. Yeah. He's doing real movie star stuff in this, which is to say very little and pulling it off. Yeah. It's it's a lot of like classic Crow very silent but like there's an inner poetry to the to like that character's personality even though he's not like being poetic but there is like you can tell he's a soulful guy mm, he's a soulful he's, like, white thinking boy about, for sure. he just wants to farm he does he wants to farm yeah he wants to farm he wants to teach his kid how to ride a horse and chill with his wife he's just a wife guy yep but he can't get back to his wife because the emperor uh a guy who did actually exist, Marcus Aurelius, he's about to die. They've conquered the whole world. Uh, and they make that guy, like, he is your, like, a philosophical leader. Even though he's an emperor, he's like your philosophical, I yearn, like, my heart bleeds for democracy. We need to, to right the wrongs of society and bring us back our democracy. Well, not democracy kind of specifically, but Marcus Aurelius was, like, a philosopher king who did, like, yeah. right philosophy he was like a stoic yeah. a classical stoic so like that's not that big of a of a stretch i don't think no i'm not saying it's a stretch i'm saying I, I, that's like the character note they're hitting yeah right in this movie he's wise Although he he did not his dying wish was not to bring back the republic no it's for maximus to do it <laughs> yeah yeah that uh was like a little note that i had made i was like i mean he's aware that he's dying but apparently he thinks he's gonna die like right now I don't have time to get back to Rome and do this myself. I'm dying. Yeah, like, couldn't he just, you know, say, hey, we're a republic now before he dies? Yeah. If we're actually talking about the uh, the plot of the movie, they're out in Germania. They're conquering the, the, the fringes of uh, the empire, these Germans, that they... A massive and cool battle, too. Yeah. Yeah, it opens up on a sick battle. Um, Maximus gives some cool speeches, tells them all... Uh, you know, to unleash hell and whatnot, gets them all psyched yeah. up. His buddy says people should know when they're count conquered, and Russell Crowe's like, "Would you? Would I?" Yeah, but then he kills he's them right. anyway. He re- he respects these guys, but he's gonna fucking murder them all. Yeah, this is his job. He's good at it. Yeah, he is very very good at. It. He's good at generaling, I guess, and he is also just good at the the nitty gritty, the hand to hand. He's also the best at that too. Yeah, he's the best tactician. He's the strongest guy with a sword. Uh, he's the strongest guy even when he's tied up holding a sword. Yeah, he gets the big picture, but he's uh, he's willing to get his hands dirty. Literally. That's the, that's the visual motif for him, is that he literally rubs dirt <laughs> into his hands all the time. Yeah. Very funny. But also I very love it. Cool. He, he said it's like... They, they were supposed to be a character, not I think, to bring it back to like, who he's a farmer. But I'm just like, I just keep thinking like it's like a sports player. Yeah. He's, who's like dusting up their hands to get ready to get my grip he's like on this a bat. gymnast yeah yeah he's like a man he's one with the earth he's like an elemental being but yeah they win he 
Marcus Aurelius calls out his son and his daughter to come meet with him because he apparently is like convinced that he's on his way out very, very soon. And we get Joaquin and we get uh, Connie Nielsen playing the two royal children. And uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, sniveling little He seems like a good guy. (laughs) He seems like such a good guy. He's playing it so big and evil in this movie. They give, yeah, it apparently like him and Crow were just kind of like confused and not super down with like what was going on. The performance that Joaquin Phoenix gives is so good. It's like crazy that, yeah, I guess that's him phoning it in kind of. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's still extremely it's, it's engaging. He's a snake that whole movie. Yeah, I really like that right when he shows up, the first like little bit of character stuff we get from him is that he with his shirt off and a bunch of his guards is going through in slow motion a pre-rehearsed like fight sequence that he can do like really fast so that it looks like he's fighting a bunch of guys at once but it's all like choreographed movements it's nice it's a good little a good little bit to show you what he's all about he sees himself as a fighter who's capable but yeah and he knows that like probably isn't even if he can't fight it's like valuable to be able to put on a show but yeah then his dad stupidly tells his evil son who like anyone knows is look at this guy he looks evil he sounds evil he's like by the way you're not getting power i'm not giving you the kingdom when you when i die yeah i'm writing you out of the will you dipshit it's really like saying something for joaquin that he can get anything out of that character who is essentially just like a one note gross sniveling evil little fucker like when he so like marcus aurelius of course chooses fucking russell crowe to be his successor because he rocks and his son fucking sucks ass and he you have a guy who's the coolest dude who's ever walked through rome or any of rome's conquered lands everyone loves him he's basically your best friend yeah your if your kid sucks you give that guy right everything yeah yeah he does stupidly tell joaquin in a in a room that no one else is in that he's given (laughs) he's given the job to russell crowe but it is like a sad scene because like yeah joaquin is like listen i remember you like sent me out this like list of virtues of what a good king had to have or and i didn't have any of them and i knew that i didn't and like i know that what i am (laughs) and he lists his virtues and they're basically like being evil i have ambition having no morals killing things for fun i have more i have values too dad why don't you recognize them and then like after all of that marcus aurelius is like he says uh um that your faults as a son are my failures as a father which is like really fucked he won't even like let him own really like the monster he is it's like so belittling like listen i hear what you're saying and i agree that you suck but it's my fault you can't have any ownership even of your own shittiness it's it's not even forwarding the sorry it's forwarding the like you you're you're bad you have a lot of faults you're like the worst i should have done that and that's my fault (laughs) but like you're still terrible yeah so he smothers them to death the other thing uh, Marcus Aurelius gets to do before he dies, I really like, because he tells his daughter, if you were a man, I'd love to give you the kingdom. Just like another note of like, my fuck, my son sucks. Yeah, if only you were So much. I would keep the empire going if my daughter was a guy. <laughs> Literally anyone else. Just, 
like oh it's like oh wait do you do you like uh do you not believe in the empire anymore or do you just hate your son that much buddy yeah it, you do get hints of that though that like one of his motivating factors is how much his son sucks and how much he like cannot be allowed to be the emperor he also does actually criticize the um the empire a little bit although it seems to be more about his legacy yeah. than about like the inherent value of imperialism because uh, he like he talks about how uh you know they've conquered so many lands uh, and he says but what was it for like there's a vision of rome and he talks about the vision of rome as a republic but so it's not like oh it's bad that we did that we're like we're conquering like the barbarians it's bad that you know people it's we're not a representative republic anymore and uh maximus is like you're saying we fought for nothing like my friend my, my men are dying i need to know they did this for a reason and you get that sort of like philosopher soldier look into um uh, maximus's mind as a guy who like needs to have a reason that he's fighting uh is driven by a a love of rome and he doesn't have that if you tell him that like it was all for nothing yeah and you get the little bit in there too where you learn that he's never even been to rome before like because he like lives in spain or something yeah i don't know if he actually lives in spain or if that's just a nickname he picks up once he starts gladiating um he but i don't know he might like live on the border but he like i don't know i feel like yeah he's definitely somewhere he was like hispano roman yeah he was from the iberian peninsula okay because he rides well he rides a horse from wherever the battle is in germania to his house in seemingly i don't know days. how long those distances yeah. are he also gets to africa somehow yeah well it's a it was a smaller world back then but yeah no um he was like uh he was from i think he was like specifically from spain okay uh which means he he like rode his horse from germania to the iberian peninsula to get to where his family lived yeah after it is uh he's of course betrayed <laughs> by commodus yeah. it is like it's another thing like how precarious the whole situation is it's kind of played really lightly at the beginning but there's some senators out there at the battlefront uh too and one of them is asking him about his like ambitions asking maximus about his ambitions after the war and he says something like or comments is like oh he's not political and he's like oh well with an army he could be very political they're just like openly joking about like coup attempts and yeah or at the very least just his popularity in the vote yeah but he is just a babe in the wind he yeah. does not care. he's a pure he is a pure man he like maximus doesn't care about democracy maximus doesn't care about the empire in terms of like the political aspirations of the empire he cares about rome and his dedication to his country of rome and doing what he's told but outside of like following the mission and the honor that he carries in his heart to do the mission you know letter of the law i'm going to follow the person i swore an oath to uh he doesn't like have ambitions or anything his ambition is to go home and farm yeah he cares about rome in so much as he loves marcus aurelius like his whole concept yeah. he's never been there he doesn't really know anything about its machinations his whole conception of rome is just this guy that is like a father to him but yeah, he goes in to see the dead body and they're like, oh, he's just old. He died in his sleep and immediately is like, bullshit, fuck you, fuck that. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. He tries to take off while his buddy gets him arrested. Yeah, Quintus. And they try to kill him. I love, this, I love the scene when they try to kill him because he, uh, 
he's tied up and he just like somehow gets the guy's sword and beats the crap out of him with it he like headbutts him or something he asked yeah to not have his head chopped off but to have his spine cut or whatever a, a soldier's death and they respect him so they honor his request and he beats up two guys while being you know tied up his hands are behind his back mm-hmm. then he gets a sword and does like a hey you to a guy that's far away and just chucks the sword at him and kills him it's so cool <laughs> there, there is something about the violence in this movie that it walks this line between being cool and horrific it's brutal it's brutal uh ridley scott movies I always think like one of his touches as a director is he hates violence in most of his movies. Violence is horrific. It's extremely bloody. He usually shoots it with handheld. He usually, it's really shaky when he shoots it. It puts you in this grounded, like chaotic sense where the frame can't hold the entirety of this sweeping battlefield. He doesn't, he doesn't sit at like long shots and watch a battle unfold. He gets up close where you know that 90% of the battle is outside of your frame and, and it makes you feel claustrophobic and scared and and it's all chaos. And it makes violence feel like something that's wrong. I mean, yes, but like it, through like the visual medium, the way films are made. But this movie has like so many moments of triumph that aren't always in his movies. So when he like breaks free, it's just cool. When he like throws a sword, it's just kind of cool. Yeah. There's the moment and there's like the cavalry charge in the battle at the opening of the movie which is shot with like triumph. They're coming through the flames, the horses jumping over these flames and triumphant like music is, is swilling. And, and then as soon as like that moment of triumph is over, it cuts straight to like guys on the battlefield getting torn down and it's horrific again. It, it, it keeps going back and forth. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it definitely just looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, the movie kind of acts like it's saying something about like, the entertainment value of violence but ultimately like the styling of the movie is so cool that it just kind of undercuts <laughs> any of those points I-, I think he's had more successful executions on that theme before but i do think it kind of works in gladiator almost in the sense of like it it wants to show you what is so intoxicating about violence as a spectacle and what draws people in so there's these moments of heroism but it always undercuts them with these moments of like horrific bloody violence to remind you that like violence is real and it's evil i don't know that it it, like it never has much time to explore that as much as something like some of his later movies i think the kingdom of heaven i think does a little bit of a better job about violence um but i think it's there i i I like that i like that kind of contrast it's in gladiator it's interesting yeah his son gets owned by a horse like yeah i don't know how they even shot it I guess it's a dummy for a few frames, but you see someone get like bumped and trampled by a horse. Uh, my mom's in town. She was watching it with us. And when that happened, she was like, oh, ooh, grimacing at this kid getting wrecked by a bunch of horses. Yeah, his family does not. Uh, yeah, they uh, they're not treated well. Yeah. When he gets like he travels for nights and days to come see them and it shows he's like snotty crying you see their hanging feet um because apparently they were burned and crucified but i was like the horses didn't kill that kid like <laughs> it looked like he gets fucking destroyed by them which i didn't really understand the like the motivation for that like i get icing his family not icing his family but like torturing them oh I, that's parts for fun yeah i, think. <laughs> I guess so <laughs> like 
I get uh, like wiping out his lineage or whatever if you think he's some kind of political threat, but <laughs> they went a little overboard. Yeah, like I don't know. Like usually, I think maybe to send a message, except I don't know what the message is because he didn't really do anything except not swear fealty. And he's supposed to be dead. Like, who's the message even do? <laughs> yeah, just me. Speaking of horses, uh, when he's breaking free after they've like arrested him, he does take down a horse by uh, standing still and stabbing it as it goes past him. Mm-hmm like morpheus fighting the car in matrix reloaded they should have given maximus a katana (laughs) yes a katana machine (laughs) think about what he could do with a gun in rome man i shudder to think of what he could do with a gun in rome uh yeah he sees all that he's very upset about it and just passes out and gets picked up by uh some like slave traders yeah he gets picked up by jaiman hanzo Mm mm-hmm yeah, who name? saves him by tending to his great wounds? Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he, uh, he doesn't have a lot. He to... has maggots in his wound. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, he like do a close like Jaimon's like your wounds infected, and they do a close up shot of his wound, and there's just like maggots in it. Yeah, but he says something like, "Don't worry, they'll clean the wound." About the bugs, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. They just pulled him out. You know, that's when we get the first of uh, it happens two or three times, but there's. These really cool overhead, like, gliding shots. I don't really know what they're trying to convey, but they look sweet. Like, there's there's those moments of sweeping adventure that happen. Whenever we're changing locations like that, during the gladiating section of this movie, there are these, like, sweeping shots that you might have in a more upbeat-feeling adventure movie, but he's putting them into this, like, really gritty and grounded and violent movie instead yeah there's like time-lapse montages of like thunderstorms and stuff going on to transition oh while basically the pirates of the caribbean theme plays. yeah he hans hans zimmer really ripped himself off for (laughs) pirates movie that was one of my first reactions watching the movie because like they play that theme in the opening battle and i was like this is just he reused this for pirates of the caribbean yeah it's funny, too, that it's remembered as the Pirates score, even though this came out way before it and was a huge... It was like three years before? Yeah, and was like a huge movie. It's not like this is some yeah. kind of lost gem. Yeah, if you love it when the music goes, bum, 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 nah, hey, that's in here, mm-hmm. buddy. But also with some, uh, some wailing going on. I this I love this score. It's good. It's real good. It Yeah, it kind of... It's like a Hans Zimmer like greatest hits. You got your pirates, you got your Dune. But yeah, we meet uh when he gets sold, we meet Oliver Reed, who is like uh great in this movie. He's going so fucking big. He's I love going it. fucking crazy in this. He's so good. Like he died during the filming of this. But what a performance to go out on. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. I love the first scene with him is him yelling at a guy, you sold me queer traps. Mm-hmm. While he's grabbing his like balls. Yeah, he's just chomping through every line. Yeah, did you see anything about like what happened to him? Like like how he died? No. Oh man. Oliver Reed, like notorious drinker, uh party guy. When he got hired for the movie, he like promised Ridley Scott that he wouldn't drink uh on days when they were shooting. But uh, they were in like Morocco and over one of the weekends there were like a bunch of sailors in and he was at a pub, got into a drinking contest with like all these sailors at a bar and the drink just drank so much that his heart just stopped, had a heart attack and died. 
Wasn't he like 60? Yeah, he was like 61. He wasn't super old. <laughs> he just... It's incredible. I was thinking like he was old to be like super partying that hard at least. Yeah, no, that's what he did. He just <sighs> drank until he cool died. On... Uh, yeah, but uh, the there were only like two more scenes that he was supposed to film and they really really early version of uh like cgi pasting his face onto a body double which like i couldn't tell could you tell i i knew he had died after this movie i thought he died after the movie was made because i didn't tell when i was watching it i was watching the 4k version of the movie so like i feel like that's the version i would have noticed on yeah but no uh yeah this was like a very early step in the uh like cgi dead actor thing that happens a lot now but they do keep him in like shadow in his final scene when he dies yeah i'm just saying this is the first they hide this is the first domino falling though to uh yeah fucking it's yeah because like that's a necessary usage of it if if you want to finish your movie oh yeah for sure and i think it it's like tastefully done in this yeah but this was the first step in the like uh cartoon peter cushing in the star wars movie and shit like that yeah rib yeah but yeah before he died a terrible trend he was, yeah not not good bad stuff no for sure let peter cushing like let him lie yeah no i think the people that are doing that are going to hell basically yeah they're or worse reanimating dead spirits like what they do in those cg offices will echo for eternity in hell mm-hmm as they scream they're gonna be haunted by the people that they're bringing back yeah they're gonna let peter cushing torture them yeah peter cushing tupac uh who else anthony bourdain they're all gonna steve be steve mcqueen if they ever actually do it they're all gonna they keep be... they keep they keep threatening to do a, C- a steve mcqueen movie a whole movie where he's like the lead yeah but he's dead they <laughs> it's gone nowhere but they keep threatening to do a steve mcqueen movie that sucks boo yeah, don't do that. Thumbs down. Not a fan. Thumbs down to that. Yeah, kill, kill, kill. Um, yeah, back to Gladiator though. <laughs> yeah, Oliver Reed is the one who ends up buying Russell yeah. Crowe and making him a glad. The... And he tells all the slaves, "Just as your mother was there when you were born, I will be there the day you die." Yeah, he gets a lot of good uh, monologues. He, it's really funny because they're like framed and shot as like like a coach in a sports movie like hype mm-hmm. speech but all of the speeches he's a slave owner. yeah and all of the speeches are like you are going to die <laughs> you're gonna go out there and you're gonna die they're not like inspirational no. they're like hey you we all have to die. one of the speeches is basically we all have to die eventually just all we just have to decide if it's a good yeah, one Yeah, you might as well die cool shiny and chrome <laughs> basically that's his motivational speech for everyone like hey man crowd's gonna love you yep it's going to be sick. It's going to be so cool when you die. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm going to make so much money. Yeah. Oh, and uh, he's out He's out in the provinces because gladiating was banned under the wise king, Marcus Aurelius. And uh, yeah, this whole time, Joaquin, he has... You couldn't gladiate today. Yeah. Joaquin has uh, assumed the throne and he's already gone psycho power. He's already talking about dissolving the Senate, like, the second he takes control. Yeah. He comes back into the city in, like, a really weird sequence. It's color-graded, like, gray and blue when he's coming Mm -hmm. back in. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Weird. 
looks a lot. The color in this movie is really interesting. That was like one of my big points in my notes. Because like Ridley Scott's color grading is always interesting in his movies. He likes grays a lot. But he'll use pops of color to like be thematic. So like the opening of this movie, the opening battle is pretty great. Yeah, it's very green. And then the first pop of color is is uh, after he breaks free and he's trying to race home. Uh, Maximus uh, dreams about his family. Mm-hmm. And it's all bright greens. He greets his family. It's beautiful. And that is like his vision of heaven is beautiful and, 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 and bright and colorful. But the world is gray and dark and gritty because he's a soldier. And then it feels like color comes back in when he starts gladiating. When Oliver Reed comes in, there's color in like the gladiator scenes. There's the it's like bright, yeah. bright colored sand. Like the people in the crowd have all kinds of colored garb. Yeah. And then the color goes away again when we go back to the political side. So I think like color is being like, I don't know. There's the adventurous side of the movie that is more colorful. There is the politics where it's like, it's evil. So it's gray. Yeah. I kind of read that too is because it is a similar color palette to like the opening battle of like communist bringing all of that negative shit back into Rome with him and infecting it. But like when he's coming back in, they're like, oh, he could be very useful to us. But then he's immediately like, I can do all of this myself and fuck you. The Senate sucks. People need a king. I will be. And I think at that point he's talking to his sister about like war. And she says, you know, people loved your people loved our father because he did war and they liked war, even though they didn't see the war happening. Yeah. And it's about like distracting people with with a with some kind of victory they can latch on to. Yeah. Uh... Which is an interesting note, because if you think about like. Wanting to dissolve the Senate, wanting to start a war to keep people's power, uh, to keep control of the populace, to keep them interested in you as a leader because they're distracted by this these winds abroad to be too mad about you dissolving the Senate. These are like plot lines that I feel like they, they kind of linger in the background of what is pretty much just a revenge story in Gladiator. Mm-hmm. But if this movie had come out like five years later in like Bush term two, I feel like the political stuff would have been heightened as a like response to the real world yeah like this movie is way different if it's made five years later if it's like coming out when revenge of the sith like revenge of the sith hits those same notes but that's like the core thesis of that movie is a a response to the invasion of iraq i feel like this movie if it's made five years later becomes so much more about distracting and and someone seizing power than it is about the revenge story yeah it's pretty like politically unmessy uh just from like a character point of view because like you have commodus who's like nakedly evil and also just like a very by the book uh like populist leader he's like i'm gonna distract everyone with a big show so that they will do whatever people like. yeah and then our hero maximus he doesn't give a shit about any of that his like just personal vengeance just happens to neatly align with like what would be ethically good for the, for Rome. Yeah, he saves democracy because he just hates the guy who's trying to end it. But do, like, I don't know, does he save democracy? I feel like this movie has a really dim view of like the people of Rome. Like, mm-hmm. for it, it doesn't really deal with them at all. But when it does, it's just like a screaming mass. The people of Rome love violence. They don't care if it's in the Colosseum or if it's they're hearing it on the news about the victories abroad. They just love bloodshed and violence. 
that's all we know about. Who can blame him? It rocks. Uh, it's great. But yeah, Russell Russell Crowe is just kicking ass as a gladiator out in the sticks, out in the boonies of like the shitty independent gladiator league. He's just fucking crushing everyone. They make him fight a bunch of uh, Mad Max looking dudes. Yeah, they make him fight like centurions and stuff, and he just like rips right through him. Like, hey, you have like light armor, and you're tied to another guy. Uh, good luck. And then he's like, I don't okay. I'm the greatest fighter to ever fight. So yeah, he has this the like the big beat the are you not entertained bit. It like I don't know. It plays so strange because like he's like oh, I'm going to make this statement by. I'm not going to put on a show. I'm just going to like mow down these guys unceremoniously. Uh, and then he yells like, are you not entertained? And the people wait like a beat and then they start cheering. They're like, yes, we yeah, are. Like, wow, Cause they are. Entertained. <laughs> yeah. That's the we thing. are entertained. This rules. I forgot. Like, I know that I know that quote out of context and, but it's been so long since I watched the movie. I just like, I just, in my head, I thought it played more cynically of like, he says that and the crowd's horrified and they're silent. No. Not like he's basically yelling out to the crowd, uh, like a wrestler who just won and, and getting the pop that he wants. The crowd goes wild. Yeah. It's like he wants, he wants them to be shocked by it, but they do love it. They are entertained. They just love it. Yeah. They like it a lot. But then that introduces like one, there's a few different little threads that kind of clue you into the fact that this was all just kind of slapped together like piecemeal um where proximo oliver reed is like you're good but like with my help you could be the best like you're good at killing people but i could make the crowd love you i can make you a showman yeah but he doesn't do that ever <laughs> like he doesn't really coach like him. maximus just keeps doing what he's been doing and everyone continues to like he it. just stays a cold murderer <laughs> and the crowd loves it yeah it was, yeah you yeah you think that that's going to be like a plot thread that like he's gonna bond with proximo as he learns how to like be a showman or like learn something about how politics works so that he's no longer like baby brained about like how to mm -hmm. interact politically but he doesn't do that or like learn anything really about how to function as a political entity. He just keeps killing people. Yeah, you get the sense that maybe the Proximo lines and those scenes are written because they sounded good. They do sound good. Like in the moment before, while we're shooting the scene, this sounds okay. But then like not really designed to fit within a greater whole. Yeah. Aside, you also learn though that he was a gladiator himself and was so good at being a gladiator that he was personally like freed by Marcus Aurelius. Got a wooden sword and everything. Yeah, with his name on it. In case he loses it. <laughs> Someone will bring his it back. His name and his phone number. Oh, another thing they do in that first gladiator battle, which I love, is he kinda does he kinda does the bad boys shot with uh with um Russell Crowe and Jermaine Hanzo standing in the yeah. middle. And it zoom like in the middle of the I think it's the middle of the battle. It's not after the battle's over. It zooms the camera around them a couple times, doing the like looking up at our characters and spinning around them bad boys shot. Yeah, the the big hero shot. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's pretty good. Yeah, he's chained to Jaiman Hansu, and the other guy that ends up being his buddy is chained to a guy that just peed his pants and dies immediately. <laughs> that guy's pretty cool, though. Yeah, <laughs> very relatable. <laughs> if I was made a gladiator, I think I'd probably just piss my pants and die. Yeah, that guy... Like I was in the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg. He made a he played a character named Brick Bardo. 
Brick Bardo, which I just want to bring up because that's a good yeah, name. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah. So he gets he he gets a little crew together cuz he's just a natural fucking leader of men. He can't help people. Yeah, they love how much he what good he fights. Yeah, they want they want to be led. I love they do a little bit where they get food. Well, it's after 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 they're in Rome and like when they get food and like the German friend is like don't eat it, buddy. And then he takes a bite of it to test if it's poison. And he pretends to get poisoned. Yeah, just clowning with the boys. Yeah, just hanging out with the boys. There's like almost like another version of this movie that was like a hangout movie with those three. That would be very cool. That's what like, like, a, a... like an upbeat. You play it like a sports movie. It's an upbeat. These guys are fighting for their freedom. And there's none of the like, un, there's none of the politics. It's just these guys are hanging out and they're going to win the big game. Yeah. <laughs> the big game of killing people. The big game of killing people. <laughs> I would I would watch the shit out of a gladiator sports movie. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh do it like the replacements. There's like all the gladiators are dead and we gotta get like just like random dudes in here. They're not good. Is that see how they're gonna do. I feel I I only watched a few episodes of it, but uh I feel like there was an element of that in the uh that Spartacus Showtime show. Oh, I haven't watched my dad loved that though. It was like three hundred the show. Yeah. I heard it was good. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it does look cool. It looks like something I would like. Yeah, the whole time, too, uh, even before his family gets killed, when he's trying to decide if he wants to accept being the guardian of Rome or whatever the fuck, he's, he's like, praying a bunch. Mm. Is he Christian? No, because, um, oh, wait, no. Maybe I don't know. I guess Christianity existed at this point, huh? It is yes. AD. And he keeps saying it takes place. mother and father like to who he's praying to. I've no well, it's extremely vague. I don't know. I don't know because like his vision of the afterlife isn't heaven. It's his farm. But I don't know. Yeah, I've got no idea what I, I, I don't think this movie I don't think it his religion is clear this movie. He doesn't speak about specific gods to my memory. He just thinks about his home and his family. And meeting them on these, heaven for him is a wheat field. Mm-hmm. To run your hands which is what, through like, Terrence Malick style. Yeah, you can run your hands through the wheat field. And maybe on the other side of that field, when you come out the other side, you walk out and it's uh, Kevin Costner's backyard. Yep. Field of gladiators. Field of dreams. Gladiating on the field. It's field of dreams with gladiators is my move. Yeah. You build a coliseum and ghosts come and murder each other in it. <laughs> that's That's my, gla- oh man. That's my gladiator sequel. Field of gladiators. Field of gladiators. <laughs> yeah, I just, it seemed, that seemed like something too where maybe they were just like, uh, we want him to be like praying or something. We'll figure out all all the specifics of that later. And they just never really got around to it. He has these two like figurines. I really like it though. I like, it's, it's a good way of giving him, of like reminding us of his motivation, like what's driving him is this he's haunted by the death of his family and the desire to reunite with them, but knowing that he can't die until he gets his revenge, right? Yeah. So the entire time he's driven by these visions of his family, the fact that he knows he's gonna meet them in the next life, he just has to get there. Like he has that really nice conversation with with Gem and Hansel where he says about like, Hey, if you die, don't worry, your family, you know, they'll you'll wait for them. And he says, I'm waiting, my family's already waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I think that I think like that stuff I think really works with so the way of not having to make his religion a big part of the movie, but we use like his vision of the afterlife as as a motivator for his character. Oh no, yeah, for sure. I think it's all very necessary yeah. to give him like any kind of interiority or like kind of sense of what he's about. Yeah. Just made me curious about 
what exactly was going on. But uh, yeah, Commodus decides to win over his whole his whole scheme. Essentially, is to do whatever type of like political theater is necessary to get the people to like him enough to dissolve the Senate without them freaking out about it. So he decides to hold a shitload of games. And uh, I don't know, when I say games, I mean like ping pong and stuff. But I guess back then, games were like feeding people to animals. (laughs) Watching people die. Murder? Murder. Oh, yeah. you're going The the game of the people. Are you going to the games later? I love games. I'm a gamer. You know, how is that different than watching Twitch streams these days? You know, all these kids playing Fortnite. Really makes you think makes you think the, have you seen mortal Kombat? have you seen what they're doing in those video games these days i haven't i look away anytime someone turns I it on i have to close my eyes my mom won't I let put me put my eyes out <laughs> yeah that's why i cut out my eyes i don't <laughs> want to look at mortal Kombat. the violence it's too scary but the people of rome they love that stuff and uh oh yeah one of the senators says the beating heart of rome is not the uh wait the beating heart of rome is not the marble of the senate it's the sand of the Colosseum. he'll bring them death and they'll love him for it. Mm, how right that is. And that's is. like, that's as much as the movie has like a political theme, that's it. You're right. People like violence. Is that violence popular? And that if you can control the mob, you can do whatever you want. If you got the rabble on your side. So that's how, uh, that's how Crow gets back into the picture. He, him and his gang get brought up to Rome to the big time, the big Colosseum. Just happens to happen. Just happens to line up. He just happens to get picked up by a guy who's like a big time Coliseum dude. Just happens to like, oh, good news. This guy is going to Rome. Mm-hmm. The guy who bought you. It's fate. There were just less people back then. More of a chance of something yeah. like that happening. But uh, I mean, you know, if some it, that Proxima's probably buying so many people, he's gonna buy them eventually. Yeah, all the the Coliseum, gigantic, and all of the Rome stuff for being like cgi of that era i thought that looked pretty good too i think it looks good like it's clearly doesn't look real the way that it might have in 2000 my brain was not fully developed in 2000 i don't remember if i thought that looked exactly real but um it still looks pretty good today it it looks stylized it looks like it still imparts everything it needs to visually of like this thing's gigantic i think the coliseum is actually bigger than it was in real life yeah in this movie i think they did that because they had like scouted it and taken pictures and didn't think it was like impressive enough (laughs) (laughs) fuck this the romans didn't know how to build a coliseum (laughs) we'll show them how to do it with modern technology we can finally this is this was the original vision of the coliseum we're bringing it to you the people it's funny too because there's a line where he's like i didn't know men could build such things it's like well they can't (laughs) the computers (laughs) they didn't buddy (laughs) They uh they George Lucas to the Coliseum. They went back and they made changes. Yeah, they're uh just visually. There's one very distinct uh match cut that happens around this time too, where Maximus is like he's got uh some kind of like mark tattooed on his arm, signifying that he was like in the army that he's like clawing out and scratching out, and the blood from his arm Brutal. drips off, and it cuts to a bunch of blood being dripped on a cow from overhead as they're like walking into the coliseum very yeah that's distinct really cut. <laughs> i also like the scene i love the line in that scene it was like jaimon says like is are those the symbols of your gods mm-hmm. and crow's just like kind of and he's like won't they be mad if you cut it off and he's like eh. he just starts laughing yeah and then they cut 
And it's just like, it's, it's a simple moment. I really like it. It is very heavy handed, but I love it of just like, yeah, no, basically the, yeah, that is his God, the, his, his loyalty to Rome and he's cutting it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's cutting off this piece of himself that wants to find him. Now he's got, now he's a nihilist. He's going Joker mode. <laughs> he, he, yeah. He went, yeah, he's completely Joker. He's got nothing now. Uh, the whole time to Joaquin is giving this like crazy sniveling like constantly on the verge of tears type performance Mm. he also really wants to bed down his sister he wants to bone her he wants to like have her give him a pure air so bad yeah yeah not good she's not into it either they really uh i feel like the natural tendency for this kind of character in this era would be to like make him really effeminate or like gay coded but instead they just lean really into the incest thing that's his. he's just gross yeah he's he's straight but gross yeah <laughs> he's weird in a way that is actually bad he's a little weird with his nephew yeah lucius not like bad weird like no i don't think the nephew has any idea that his uncle is evil but like he's like taking the nephew and just like clearly just like poisoning his mind with the stories he tells him yeah i don't think he's like abusing him or anything he's just a weird guy that probably shouldn't be around any children no he's clearly like he's trying to raise this kid in his own image and also turn him against his mom he's like sitting there reading him a story about a uh a turncoat who's like evil to the empire and the whole time he's staring down his sister when she comes in the room and continues to tell the story about someone who betrays the leader yeah claudius and the kid's mom is like crying. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. And the kid starts to realize that this is fucked up and that he's being used as a pawn. Yeah, the camera like holds on the kid's face. He's just fucking freaked out. The during in the when they first get to Rome, instead of like Proxima's all pissed because instead of a regular gladiator fight, they're using all of his guys to reenact the Battle of Carthage, which apparently was like yeah. some Roman slaughter. But of course, it's maximus leading the gang so they don't lose but the whole time joaquin is like going ape shit up in the stands he's like sticking his tongue out he's like he fucking loves It's the most fun this guy's ever had he's like sitting up there he's just going wild biggest fan (laughs) of the game ever he's he's a man of the people he likes it just as much as they do he likes it more he loves it (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah the they this is like the big, big set piece of the movie is so the stage Battle of Carthage. Russell Crowe gets yeah, the MF like Doom mask all the, for it. All of our gladiators. Yes, he has the MF Doom mask. All the gladi- gladiators in the center of the Colosseum and they just like, just like, oh, what are they going to do? And it's, they sent out chariots. Okay. Also four tigers. Yeah. And all the, they have like automatic crossbows. Yeah. I don't think they had those back then. They did. I saw it. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> they did film this on location <laughs> in Rome, ancient Rome. Uh, the His mask is so cool, and they really amplify how cool it is by giving everyone else the dumbest looking helmets ever. They all have like dildo heads. <laughs> He's got the spiked, the spiked Doom mask. It is such a sick helmet. You'd like, uh, it's obvious why that became MF Doom's whole look. Yeah, and when they're like in the armory or whatever it's not like russell crowe's the first guy in there for some reason everyone else has just been like passing up the obviously coolest helmet and he's like oh this one looks good i like that it leaves his like 
his chin visible like as a superhero mask yeah he's like batman and then once they're out there he goes full general mode and they know to listen to him i would and they take fucking everybody out there like make a turtle shell out of all their shields and destroy it it takes a lot i think it takes a lot of practice to make a phalanx but he is the greatest leader ever so instantly he can get a perfect formation yeah that's he's like the god general yeah he's the greatest he really is chairs coming by and they're trying to get through the shields and it's just like nah nothing happening they should have gave those guys weaker shields if they wanted them to die yeah yeah they should have stacked the deck a little bit more um the russell crow really like maximus he's just like the best and never really does anything wrong no and he has like no arc either He's just a static character. He's just, he is the best person to ever live, the strongest and smartest at battle to ever live. And that's true the whole movie. And then he gets his revenge and the end. Yeah, I think this also gets at one of the core, like, dad, like, fantasies of, like... Watching a cool guy. Yeah, that just, you if you are a righteous, cool guy, the world will punish you for it. Like bad things will happen to you not because you did anything wrong just because you are the one morally upstanding person in this sea of fucking piranhas but also when pushed you are so cool and capable that you will win by force of will right yeah you can't keep a good the world man down. bends to you because you are the coolest and best yeah i just it's like there is this attitude out there that like of like just the put upon guy like mm-hmm. all this bad stuff that happens to me is like no fault of my own i'm <laughs> the i'm a good guy it's not my fault they hate it they hate me because they ain't me. exactly that's what it boils down to but no yeah it's it's a a movie that was maybe had more of a script written before it filmed which would be a very different movie uh might explore his character as a tool of imperial rule and maybe uh, examine his role in violence and the fact that he's so good at it. Not just, isn't it gross to watch violence? Isn't it a little scary sometimes, but Hey, maybe he's also a little bad for being so good at it. Like something like kingdom of heaven, actually, which came out five years later has more of that side of it of, Hey, exploring the idea that this conflict itself and everyone who takes part in it is inherent wrong like there's like another version of this movie that goes into that side of it that looks at him as he yes he's the coolest and greatest and strongest but also isn't part of why he's that way bad yeah there's no but like interior... there's not that, there, there isn't an angle to him and yeah there's no like examination of his role really in the broader uh roman political sphere that that's part of what's so interesting about like the themes of this movie because i kind of got it a little bit earlier it feels so close to being a post iraq post 9-11 movie like with a few tweaks if you if it was an examination of the role of violence um it would feel like that sort of cynical uh bush term two movie that we would see in stuff like i keep saying it like revenge of the sith or king or kingdom of heaven uh, and instead, like it has the little seeds of what that, those movies would become in the year 2000, which I think makes it so interesting because it is like literally one year away from being a very different movie. Yeah, I think you do. I don't know. I didn't 
really want to get too much into it till we actually got to the end of the movie but mm-hmm. it does seem like this movie is saying it's not really like pro it's almost it it's not like pro republic even it's no. essentially saying that like if you take out the evil people in the world the rest will kind of just sort itself out mm-hmm. like it, it, it kind of almost doesn't have a stance on government, even though it sort of plays in the background with these themes uh, on the Proximo side of the story, not Proximo, on the com- Commodus side of the story, uh, this, his like vying for power, it doesn't end up really having much of a take on like the nature of, of democracy, other than like, it's kind of pro-republic. You get this general sense that it might be pro-democracy. Yeah. But like, see, like, Throughout all of the the gladiating that happens, there's this big like theatrical power play between Maximus and Commodus, like amongst the crowd, and like who is winning the mm-hmm. crowd. And you get the sense that like that this is where the movie is building to that like whoever wins the sway of the people will be the one to like conquer Rome or whatever. But at the end of the movie the like crowd has nothing to do with anything that happens. It's just like yeah. Maximus gets his own personal vengeance. He kills the bad people. And then like, I get the rest just comes out in the wash. Like that's not really his business. It's not the business of this movie. What happens to the, rep- like, even though, even though he was told by Marcus Aurelius, I need you to take power and then give it up. And let like it's it. There is no like denouement. That's like let's watch Rome recover. Like let's watch Rome find its glory or whatever. It's just no, dude. He does the murder he wanted to do. He dies. The end. It, well, it's not in my business afterward. This the movie is not called Republic. It's called Gladiator. Right. And he's dead now. It really it really is just his story, and like yeah, it is just a revenge. Story. All of the all of the like political theater that happens, all of the like gestures that it's making to these kind of ideas are solely a plot mechanic to keep him alive. Otherwise Commodus yeah. could just kill him. Like, yeah. And like you said about the crowd, there's like almost maybe another version of this movie where it doesn't, where like the crowd play where the popularity plays in it. And uh, Maximus is too popular to kill and he takes political power. Like he's so popular that they have to let him free. And then he becomes a political figure and takes over, which like not historically accurate. Also, this movie isn't anyway. Um, I think stuff like that. But like, did happen almost, though. Yeah. There's almost like a different version of this movie that, that like focuses on the crowd more. And like you said, ties, you could tie the crowd into the politics because they talk very much about how, the winning the crowd is tantamount to winning Rome. Like you don't win, you don't win Rome in politics. You win it in the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. But like instead, the way that the crowd functions, and it does function a bit in the story. The way it functions in the story is his popularity gets Commodus so tilted that he has to fight him. Yeah, yeah, it keeps him alive, and then it gets us to the point where yeah. they can have their big public face off. Yeah, because Commodus like. He realizes that he can't kill Maximus because he's too strong, but he can't let him live because he's too popular. So he has to like, I got to kill him in the ring and I have to be the one to kill him in what looks like a fair fight so that the uh, audience will love me as their new champion. Mm-hmm. And he would have got That's like the role the audience plays. It just tilts him enough that he has to 1v1 me, bro. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we we just kind of glossed over like the meat of the movie, which is just like series of escalating gladiations <laughs> as Commodus attempts to have Maximus die. Because after the first one, he finds out who he is. I love the demasking moment. He's like in the ring, uh, in the ring, in the Colosseum. It's a ring. Uh, Commodus comes down. I just keep I keep doing this uh, in my mind, like relating it to wrestling. Feet. Yeah. But um, Commodus comes down and he's like, reveal your mask, sir. Like, you have to show me your face. <laughs> and I forgot how the movie went. So I kind of for a second thought he would not remove the mask. And it's like, he's like a superhero. And that mask was like, <laughs> just takes it off. And like, it was me. No, it was me the whole time. He wears the mask for like 15 minutes. And it ends up on every post. That's like one of the images from the movie. It's a defining image of, it's like one of the defining movie images of the 2000s. Basically. Yeah, he, he doesn't wear it for very long, though. I love it. he's like ready to kill Commodus there, but the kid's there. He's like, I can't kill a kid. Shit. Shit. He's can't like kill the, a guy in front of a he's kid. He's like the equalizer. No, if yeah, but if the kid was in the crowd, he'd be okay with it. It's just the kid's a little too close yeah. to watch. Yeah. And Commodus does, he's like wants to kill him there also, but the crowd won't let him do it. Yeah. He's got to give the. He wants so badly to be liked. You see him like it's a really it's so strong performance from Joaquin because you see it in his face and a lot of what he's doing through that's really good. It's just like his looks, like his face is so good. It's so subtle, but he's getting so mad. You can see like he wants to fucking kill Maximus so bad. Yeah, but he's like, look at the crowd. He's like, I don't want them to hate me. Right. Ah, uh, he's such a little baby that needs crowd approval. He really is. That's like the real strength of the performance is that like you get some kind of idea that like he knows exactly what he is that like he has some kind of idea of like the sniveling fucking twerp that he is and like uh, everything that he's built up around it is so fragile he's like a child that like demands attention like he needs approval and he, he's desperate for it yeah but he, yeah he can't do anything he's not like capable in any way no. You don't really even you get no idea of his like vision for Rome. Like he has no himself. Yeah, he just wants to be the emperor. Yeah. He has no like designs of like what he wants to do. He just wants to be yeah, the guy. Like, Aurelius had a vision for Rome, which was like, I want Rome to be the beautiful dream that I knew it as years ago. It's that beautiful scene with with Crow in the beginning of the movie. He's like, let us whisper together. He's like, there used to be a vision of Rome that was only existed in whispers. Let us whisper together. <laughs> And they talked about their lives and their dreams. And like he was he was the philosopher poet and he had this vision. And then like Commodus is like, I just want I just want like to be in charge. I want to be the best. I want to be the best there is. I want to be CEO. <laughs> He's a dog chasing cars and he got it and he doesn't know what to do. Everyone's Jokerfied. It's a Joker movie. <laughs> it's the first Joker movie, really. He uh after that though, he tries to kill him by bringing the number one gladiator out of retirement beef supreme uh but yeah this was making me think of the last movie we watched every which way but loose he's the he's the tank murdoch he's like he is the tank built murdoch up, of the but movie. then it's just kind of like some old guy tigris of, of gaul was the original tank murdoch <laughs> that's who they based tank murdoch on the historical they're doing research he has the one other cool helmet that they had around back then it's got a teardrop on it it's pretty sick it's so cool when he dies and like there's just like blood drips off the helmet. Yeah. And the one shot. Yeah. Very cool. But they called him the only undefeated gladiator, which um, when they said that, I was like, about isn't that Pro every gladiator who's currently alive? Like, what about Proximo? 
What about Proxima? Like, how how are you? If a gladiator is currently working and currently alive, he is by definition undefeated. Because I'm pretty sure you get killed if you're defeated. You don't you don't just you don't get like oh it's fine. Like, if you get the thumbs gladiating up. ends when you die. He's just been constantly losing and getting thumbs ups. Everyone. But no, but like bad. when you don't you lose a gladiator fight by dying? Not, I mean, he doesn't die. Maximus doesn't kill him. I thought Maximus killed him. No, Commodus gives him the thumbs down, and he just throws oh, yeah, the sword right. away. He's like, yeah, Fuck I guess, you. I guess you can lose and not die. And then the guy says, "My bad, Maximus, the merciful." I apologize to all historians currently listening to the dad course at a club. All gladiators that are fucking pissed right now, fuming. I'm sorry. I'm going to do a big apology post after this podcast goes up. The keyboard gladiators sending us furious emails. I can deal with the keyboard gladiators. (laughs) I am the only undefeated keyboard gladiator, and they can come at me (laughs) if they want. I've been doing this a long time. Forged in the fires of posting. That's right. It takes a hard, hard man. That opening scene, I've done that on forums, basically. That happened to me one. Forever. Yeah, he kills that guy even though they sick like four tigers on him he can't be had in the ring he's unbeatable no. he's he's the great he's a, yeah he's, he's basically every match is a squash match for him he just does guys in he never does he ever get hurt in this movie uh other than like the opening you know obviously the beginning of the movie he gets messed up yeah common just stabs him at the end Spo- that yeah but like in a fight in a one in a fair fight or not a, I guess none of the fights are <laughs> in any of the fights. Does, does he actually, when he has a chance to defend himself, get hit? No, he doesn't take a punch. No, he's too good. He's too quick. He's too good. He's the strongest and best. He's like the equal. He's, he has equalizer vision. They don't show it in the movie, Yeah, but that's how he fights is every time he gets in a fight, he's, he, he quickly spots everybody. He knows all the thing, the parts he has to hit and the objects he can yeah, use. He knows all the angles, every movement he's got pre-visualized. Uh, after he survives that, though, we get a, a really great Joaquin line because uh, he's really mad because everyone likes Maximus more. But then he's, he's just sitting down and he's like, this vexes me. And then someone walks closer and he's just like, I'm terribly vexed. <laughs> terribly vexed right now. He does a lot with a very goofy bit of dialogue. Hmm. I'm going to start using I'm vexed in everyday I'm life. terribly vexed. What's going on, Brandon? What's, what, you look, what's going on? I'm vexed. Yeah, I'm a, Sorry, I'm a, I've just been vexed all day. Uh, we haven't really talked about his sister, really, who's like caught up in all of this because her, her son's the heir. They're buddies, but she's like put off by his freakiness. Can't really do anything about it. She seems like the not evil kid, but she's not allowed to rule. Yeah, she also has some kind of like romantic history with Maximus. Yeah, they like they used to be together. I, I presumably before Maximus got married. Um, and yeah, I don't really she, know uh, how that all works out. What marriage? I don't know if they were <laughs> married back then. No, he had a mate at least. No, I mean like he had a lady. Just the timeline of that. Oh. He's married. He's never been to Rome before. I don't know like how or when they're. Well, I don't think. Uh, isn't the line not that he hasn't been to Rome, but he hasn't been he hasn't seen what it's become? Oh, maybe. I thought I think he said you fight for Rome and yet you've never been there. I think he said you haven't but I think he followed it up with you haven't like seen what it's become, so maybe he hasn't been there since it changed so deeply. I don't know. Or something. I don't know. And or you know what? 
maybe he just met her on the battlefield. Like she visited after a battle. Very possible. And they, you know, they had a little affair to remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a player in all of this too. The whole time there's some like maneuvering machinations that end up being pretty futile and pointless to the broader story going on with the Senator Gracchus. You know, she seems to have ideas in her mind about taking down her brother, but we don't really get much of her interiority. In fact, in this movie in general, we don't really get inside any character's head outside of Maximus. Yeah, and all that is going Not on much. in there is his wife and his kid. Yeah, that's the thing we get is he loves his wife and his kid so much. But um, it, we kind of get inside Joaquin uh, Commodus's head because we see it from his performance, but we don't get all, you know, we don't get inside of like anyone else's head. It's not like we like know what's going on in Lucila's, like what her machinations are, what she's doing behind the scenes when she's not on camera. She's just kind of there for like Commodus to be mean to. Yeah. She's like an element that he controls. Yeah. Yeah. She's like the object of his tyranny most directly. So she like makes a play to buy Maximus out of slavery so that he can go get his, uh, his army that's just outside the city to come and uh can do a coup. Yeah, and do a coup. That gets found out though, and they kill all of his friends. His uh his buddy, uh Tommy Flanagan, who uh he's the guy that has the, the scarred face. Mm-hmm. That actor playing essentially the exact same character as he did in Braveheart, which is another uh dad movie of this era. He's like he was the go-to second-in-command lackey type dude back in those days. He's he's real good in the, for like for how little he's in it. Yeah, he's real good passing notes between uh, Maximus and Lucilla, facilitating things, and then just getting off. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's tough, man. Speaking of Braveheart, though, when we were going to watch this, my mom's in town. I was like, told her we were going to watch Gladiator. And she was like, oh, man, your dad would be really happy that you're watching this. He loves this movie. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't know that. And she was like, yeah, I remember when we went to go see it. And he used to watch it all the time. And I was like, man, I have no memory of that. I turned it on and we start watching it. And she was like, oh, you know, I was thinking of Braveheart. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the same. Really funny. They're just big Tommy Flanagan heads. (laughs) I always get his movies confused. Sons of Anarchy as well. Just the same thing as Gladiator. Mm -hmm. It's all just a big mesh. It's all the same. Yeah. They get found out. That brings us to the big showdown. Commodus v. Maximus. Yeah. He's like, Commodus is like strung up, gets stabbed in the side a little bit. It's kind of sexy. So not Commodus. I said Commodus. Commodus has Maximus strung up and stabs Maximus in the side. Yeah, it's very intimate, the stabbing. Whispering in his ear. It says... Smile for me now, brother. What? Uh, yeah, they kind of kind of this like this fake brotherly relationship because they both, you know, loved the same dad. Um, except Commodus hates him for it. Yeah, Commodus, you were dad's favorite. Get out. He's got no sympathy for him. That's another like potential for some kind of level of complexity that the movie just does not give a shit about adding. He just hates this guy. Yeah, they kind of trade off saying very movie lines to each other. Like Maximus is like, the time for honoring yourself is nearly at an end. And he's all strung up. <laughs> it's so good. Pretty cool. Commodus is really like feeling himself, though. He like, we've watched this guy kill a bunch of people, some tigers. He like pricks him once in the back and he's like, all right, I can fight him now. 
I assume it was like poisoned or something, right? I don't know. I think like I think I I mean I I don't know. I I feel I feel like the implication is like not just I I stabbed you. Maybe I guess maybe he stabbed him in the heart. I don't know where he stabbed him. Something like kind of the side, right? I don't know. A bad place. A place where yeah. you have some a place I wouldn't want to get stabbed. organs. It's not just meat yeah. in there. But um during that uh interaction, Maximus is like you would fight me. Yeah. Comet is like why not? Do you think I'm afraid? And Maximus goes, "You've been I think you've been afraid your whole life." <laughs> Yeah, man, that rocks. Cuts right through him. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Yeah. You think I'm afraid? You've always been afraid. You'll always be afraid. Yeah, you're a little baby. And then he's like, "Oh, unlike you, the brave Maximus or whatever," and he just like smirks at him. Like, yeah, that's right. The, speaking of poison, there's a really like at one point in like the middle of the movie, there's like an insert of was it Lucilla? She's like mixing some powder into a glass it's like coke or something yeah, yeah. and he's like uh communist is like being a little freak and having one of his little fits and she's like here brother drink this tonic and it's all like really suspicious but it's like nothing 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 comes from that <laughs> there's like again there's like another version of the movie that pays more attention to the politics yeah that like maybe we would see that that was some play by her and she was trying to put him to sleep so she could, I don't know, do their taxes or something. Or maybe he's like psychotic because she's been like poisoning him or like yeah. any, there's just nothing. They never reference that again. No, she just gave him a tonic. Yeah. Maybe it's just, it's just a, it's a setting. People were doing that all the time back then. They were in, but yeah, it's shot so sinisterly. It feels like it's like, it's setting this up to be meaningful. Yeah. It really doesn't feel like she's just giving him an Alka-Seltzer. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what it ends up being. <laughs> Okay, you're getting a little fussy. Why don't you have your antacids and go to bed? Take your fiber supplement. I didn't really get either. Uh, in the in the final fight, he's all stabbed up, but he's still whooping Commodus's ass. Of course, he's Maximus. Uh, he like disarms him, his sword flies away, and Commodus is like, "Somebody give me a sword." And Quintus, his boy who betrayed him earlier in the movie, is like, "No, no, I'm good now." Yeah, don't give him a sword. It's like I betrayed you before when the crowd wasn't on your side, but I'm not gonna, you know. This is like people are watching. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got to have a job after this. I almost felt like too. He was like, well, you know, at the time I thought this guy was the emperor. After hanging out with him for like a year, though, he really fucking sucks. So <laughs> you should probably just kill him. So much. I hate he didn't this give guy. me a raise once. Now that I know what he's all about, I'm back on Team Maximus. I hate gladiating. I'm tired of protecting the arena. This guy's gotta go. He sucks. Get his ass. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's so weird because like that guy does not have a character in the rest of the movie. Like he's in the beginning. He betrays Maximus. Then he's like out of the picture. Yeah. It's not like he's even in the political side. He's like barely in the movie, and then he shows up again to be like, "I got your back, brother." Yes. Really weird. They really streamlined his whole trajectory. Yeah maximum efficiency impact character i mean like it is kind of it is already a two and a half hour movie so i don't know where you would fit him more into it yeah but it is so weird the i didn't i didn't end up looking into there is an extended cut of this like what they possibly could have added to this yeah it's apparently about 15 minutes of extra scenes what are they though but i haven't seen them if they're chilling with the boys scenes i could get behind that they should have put those back in yeah if it's just him and his two buddies just like hanging out in the mess hall, put those back in. It is like two and a half hours. Cut out some of the other scenes. 
it uh it seemed like a lot of reviews and people that were down on it i feel like i i see in a lot of places that it's like bloated but for me i thought it moved really well like it did not feel super long to me yeah it it, it moves to such a it moves to such a good clip like it's it's also structured really well it's it's basically two different stories like th- there's a 90 minute opening story that is the uh maximus's fall from grace then his rise as a gladiator peaking at the moment where he reveals his mask um to commodus and so like that becomes oh now he's the champion of the people from like his his height as a general his fall from grace into slavery his rise as a gladiator that is like a 90 minute arc and then there's the hour arc of revenge that happens after that yeah and like it it, it gives you like a satisf like it gives you these two satisfying arcs of the movie uh, that makes it like even though it's two and a half hours it doesn't really feel like it i feel like it moves to such a good clip yeah and i think too the like the like really big expansive nature of it is mm-hmm. that's like part of the the style that they're aping of like the classical yeah. period epic yeah it's such a big movie uh it is a big movie that feels big and sweeping and important like not that like it's some like grand art it's not like the greatest movie ever made but it is so the the size of it feels like grand and epic in scale in a way that i i don't know the last movie the last new movie that felt like such a sweeping historical epic like this yeah historical i don't know yeah like i what's a movie that existed that what's the last movie that was at this scale because like what i can think of is like what Troy was like when was that that was only a couple of years after this I the this whole it kind of like started a little mini revival of this type of movie but pretty much everything that came after it sucked (laughs) like Troy's really Troy is good Troy is legitimately bloated though and has some not great central performances I haven't seen it in ages that's what that's another one I've only seen on cable I've seen it a bunch of times and like within the last year uh it does not hold up as well as gladiator does but uh uh, yeah i feel like it kind of sparked up a little mini revival but was clearly the best of all of them that came after actually uh, i've mentioned a couple times on the podcast already but kingdom of heaven i think i actually like more than this Mm. kingdom of heaven is one of my favorite ridley scott movies and i like it more than this and i think like that's the last great one that I can think of off the top of my head. But I mean, even that, the cut effect. that they released in theaters, it was like a huge flop. It didn't. No, it's not. The, the, you have to watch the director's cut of that movie. Yeah. Classic Ridley Scott move. The release of like, please watch the version I made. I hey, I made a three and a half hour movie that I knew no one would ever let me release. So I cut a version that's not very good. Please watch it at home. Yeah. The Ridley Scott promise. <laughs> yeah. And then when Maximus does kill Commodus, his little like speech he's like bring in he's immediately just like commodus is dead i'm the leader now and starts giving orders to the to the guards mm-hmm. but he, yeah he's like yeah, i don't know how that order of succession goes but he like reaffirms that like i'm doing this because it was the last wish of a dying man that like mm-hmm. he has no he still has no political ideations he does not ultimately care he has like fulfilled his duty to this guy and avenged his family and he can die now and the fact that that like coincides with a broader good for like the people that's just like a happy accident yeah i got my revenge that's what i cared about uh other things happen too 
and that's fine yeah and yeah the end we don't know no clue how that all shakes out like i guess part of that was based on what's his name cincinnatus who was like a farmer who became dictator and like abdicated the he resigned from the throne after 15 days it was a six-month appointment as dictator and he's like i'm good like two weeks in yeah i mean dictator was like an office in ancient rome before the caesars that like people would take and leave yeah that was part of like the inspiration of the character was because that guy was a farmer who was like i don't want to lead baby yeah the fact that this is set in ancient rome but is like complete like a historical made up is very funny and very cool mm-hmm. they hit like the aesthetic notes of it feels when you're watching it it feels grounded and it feels like things matter and like it might be based on history but then he heightens it because it's a story and it's like, it doesn't matter. Hey, they never actually used fire in battle, but it's cool yeah. to use fire in battle. So we're going it's to. It's an epic. We're going to do all it's the epic It's got to be cool. And it's so cool that he made this like gigantic, super expensive, and every dollar is on screen. This thing feels like $100 million. Um, and then it's like the power or revenge story. Like it's, it's, it's actually like a much simpler narrative than it lets out. We, we said and like that is so cool which is like hey i made this gigantic epic but it is just like one dude getting back yeah yeah it doesn't like it feels the moment to moment filmmaking it feels very epic but the story is not like a big broad sweeping story yeah everything that's sweeping about about it is just coloring this uh guy's gotta kill a guy i think well and that is what i think makes it such a like dad staple or like lazy afternoon viewing it's just so accessible and digestible like you you get the grand feeling that you're like watching something of some great import but like mm-hmm. in reality it's just some like kind of pulpy one-man revenge story with no yeah grand ambitions with like yeah, when you watch it it, it feels like it, it imparts that feeling of watching like a classic 60s um epic but like it story really has more in common with the equalizer than like i don't know ben-hur or something yeah yeah well ben-hur also has like eight acts and like a coda and an epilogue and like this feels a lot more streamlined like despite mm-hmm. the the big length it's very straightforward it's such an easy watch uh like you said it, it's a movie that like kind of makes you feel like you're watching something like huge and you know grand but is so digestible and accessible that you can just sit back and chill with it and like you kind of like after you've watched it once you know the beats and it's just a comfortable movie to sit with and just lay back with yeah while still feeling so grand in scale and epic and you get the like it is the biggest revenge movie ever yeah And you do have, like, this, like, playing towards these ideas of, like, political theater and, like, what mass, like, populist support looks like. So, like, you kind of have the feeling that you're eating your vegetables or whatever, even if there's nothing really there. Yeah, it's not the movie that plays with those themes too much, but it is, I love that they're there, though. It does, it does, um offer more meaning if only a little shallow and aesthetic uh to the revenge story i think the fact that it won best picture at the oscars too is now like part of the viewing of it like it has this kind of like 
industry accepted prestige hanging over it just because mm. it, it <laughs> won best picture at the oscars it is really funny thinking about that now in light of like the recent oscars and people talking about like uh you <laughs> all the jokes of like on trevor noah talking about how like oh we're, we're, we're uh giving the oscar to movies no one can relate to and it's uh-huh. like man Oscar went to what are you talking Gladiator about? at one point. <laughs> one of the most, it was the second highest grossing movie of 2000. I don't think the Oscars are like too heady. I don't think they've ever been too beyond giving a populist movie a shout. Yeah. It's funny. It just has to be cool and have Russell Crowe in it. They got that. Yeah. It's kind of funny too, thinking that like production was like a big mess, unfinished script. The like two central performers weren't like fully sold on it kind of had to piece it all together one of the actors died i'm sure they were just happy to like get something out and then they put it out and everyone's like this is incredible this is a masterpiece it just happens man yeah you know it's 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 a it's one of those miracle movies where it feels like it could have gone if you had a different like if you just didn't have this perfect team behind it going into a movie that needs to string together its set pieces with something of import like it needs to actually explore a character because it is supposed to be a drama you are supposed to care about maximus like if it if it that doesn't work and you're doing that on the fly because you don't have a script like if you don't have this perfect team behind it that this movie could have been like it could have been a disaster yeah yeah i haven't looked at what what it beat that year or what else even came out uh i didn't look at what number one was let's find out i know that that was the crouching tiger year mission impossible 2 oh. beat it but not by much it beat it by 80 million just 86 million you had to have an even dumber big blockbuster out there to make it feel extra smart yeah oh man dinosaur was was number five that year what women want was the fourth highest grossing movie cool of 2000 what a time that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore when's the last time a rom-com was number four i don't know yeah i wouldn't know <laughs> It's the last time Mel Gibson was. It's it's just wild for like X-Men is number nine on this list. The first one? Yeah. Oh man, I thought that, um, that was like a huge, huge movie. Like it made like 296 million. That was huge for superhero movies at the yeah, time. It wasn't making gladiator money though. No. But that's the thing. Like a historical epic, the second mission impossible, cast away, what women want, dinosaur, how the Grinch stole Christmas, meet the parents, the perfect storm. These are all movies above X-Men. Different world. A better world. I don't know. I don't know I like if what X-Men women want charting is a better world. <laughs> a perfect storm. Castaway. Gladiator charting Man. is a better world. The dads were feasting in 2000. Yeah, they're all going out to see how the Grinch stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. They had a Howard joint, a Zemeckis, a Ridley. Yeah, they had a Gibson. <laughs> what? Yeah. What dads want. What women want and what men want. Yeah, I don't think, at least from what I saw, like gladiator wasn't like crushing critically ebert no, ebert was, was really uh, down on it it was positive but not head over heels in love with it like a lot of the criticisms of it are kind of weird to me because i don't agree with like ebert said that uh joaquin phoenix's performance was too reserved for the movie too reserved <laughs> yeah he like i was reading his review today he was like he's like you should have got an actor who was willing to dig into it a little bit more and go campier and I'm just like, I what? think when I was watching the movie the whole time, I'm like, I think he might be going a little too big. Yeah, that's wild. I did see that he said it like looked ugly, which I think I disagree. Uh, he he was a 
Yeah, he his um God, what was his example? He had an example of a movie that he thought was like better, and it was uh, was it Titus? The Anthony Hopkins movie. Yeah, he was like as an example of a more of a, another recent historical epic. If you want to watch a good one, check out this one. I don't know. I think parts. I was like, I don't think they're the same kind of movie. I think parts of Gladiator are kind of drab. I think it's yeah it swings pretty wildly of like what it looks like from scene yeah. to scene but i think it does so at least it works for me so i know i know like not everyone likes the drabness of ridley scott movies i think that works so well for this movie because yeah. it's and it is kind of heavy-handed the way that ridley uses uh color but i like it a lot where it's like oh it's drab because this is a cynical and dark and gritty movie but occasionally in the gladiatorial battles it is bright and it pops because we are showing you the crowd loves it. This is a this is a moment where we're showing you the crowd falls in love with the violence. They love the violence so much. And then outside of that distraction of violence in, in the Colosseum is a actually a drab and depressing world. Yeah, we don't get a ton of sense of what the world of Rome is, though. No. Like, I don't know if there's a single, like, exterior shot. <laughs> like, of, like, a street. We don't go to, like, a market. Yeah. <laughs> He's... Those, never, the, like, the people mingling. don't exist outside of the Coliseum. Yeah. They're just audience members. Uh, Ebert called the story uh, Rocky on Downers. It's just really funny. He hated how dour the character was. He was really mean. He, um, God, he says, uh, it employs depression as a substitute for personality and believes that if the characters are bitter and morose enough, we won't notice how dull they are. Jeez. He was really mean. He could write. Yeah, I loved, I loved Roger Ebert. Oh. See, I think him being so reserved is like a point towards russell crowe's like movie starness yeah like how little he has to do to be a compelling presence on the screen oh yeah this is a pro movie star limited performance reserved performance podcast yeah right if you look good and you've got that energy you don't have to do anything else like he is morose and reserved in the movie there's not much bigness to him but like I, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic. I think he won the Academy Award for a reason. Like it's a fantastic performance. Yeah, he's it good. is so. He, yeah, it's just so good. Like he doesn't have to do a lot. He sells so much of his like his sorrow and his poeticism, like just in his eyes, just like the way he looks world weary at the world. Like there's so much being done in like just subtle. He doesn't have to say much. It's it's a great performance. We were talking about the ending earlier, uh, about how he just kind of dies and he just says like movie's over. Hope hope that things ended well. Apparently, like in real life, like Commodus when he died, it just it you know it was bad <laughs> for Rome. There was just like tons of infighting and uh, disruption within the entire empire. It was like bad for people. I know. I assume that that's like after the movie ends. I like there's just a huge power vacuum, yeah. and I'm sure bad stuff happens. Yeah. Like he can say, "Hey, the Senate, you guys, you guys got it. You guys handle the ground. I'll watch the skies." Um, he can say that all he wants, but uh, you know, those Senate guys seem kind of bad in the movie. Yeah, and there's like a apparently like a leaderless army just camped outside of the city now. <laughs> that seems yeah, without even their messenger boy to tell them what to do. Bad. Yeah, I'm sure it all works out though. I'm sure it's fine. Who knows? Also, apparently in real life, uh, the barbarians like weren't conquered. Uh, that they didn't get conquered like at all. It was like 
that war that they show at the beginning lasted, I think, into Commodus's reign, and he had to like make a treaty to end it. Yeah. Also, like the the looming threat on the frontier and on the border was like a huge political piece for like Rome's yep. leaders. Like it. It's like advantageous to have some kind of dangerous enemy constantly looming over everyone. Yeah. And instead the movie opens with uh, Russell Crowe, the toughest guy ever. He ends the war with the barbarians. Yeah. He civilizes them. It's this kind of a weird thing with like the themes of the movie where he is like the coolest guy and the biggest hero. He is also like the arm like the biggest soldier in an imperial war. So like, he's the coolest and best guy because the movie's not actually like anti-imperialism or, or violence in any way because it's it's big perfect boy hero is like the most violent and best violent guy who was like the biggest tool in subjugating everyone that Rome rules. Yeah, if anything, it's like pro-violent, like civilizing of people. Like it's, like it's kind of pro-imperialism as long as it's ruled theoretically by a republic instead of a... Yeah, you need a uh, an empire or some emperor. kind of like Superman philosopher king, mm-hmm. like someone that's making more the morally correct decision at all times. Yeah, it's just a funny. I don't think the politics matter to the movie, but it is it is an interesting aspect because it does play with them. Yeah, it is interesting that it that it plays with those elements of like what is what is the role of an empire? What 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 did we gain? You know, what did we gain from invading? But it doesn't question them that deeply, so it just kind of hangs over this movie where the superhero he's basically superman uh the biggest symbol of uh the rule of empire to exist yeah i think that's probably going to be another recurring dad core thing is like these kinds of movies that like acknowledge that there are interesting ideas but then does not really engage with them at all Mm -hmm. yeah and like i said i think that this movie if it was made a few years later when people were getting kind of disillusioned with the Iraq war and, and the second Bush term would be much different on those themes. I feel like it would focus so much more on this idea on the political angle of the movie. Yeah. I think it's better for not doing that. No. Yeah. It's a, it would be a very different movie. I just feel like Ridley Scott would have made a different movie in a, in a few years later. The movie, this movie as it exists now is, is such a weird, um, so just specific uh, artifact of being a year 2000 movie filmed in 1999. Yeah, right. Very much the kind of movie that's made during uh, the peaceful and peak 90s period. Yeah, when we had civilized the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, I think that about does it for the old Gladiator. But uh, what, what are your closing thoughts on Gladiator? Um, that we are all just shadows and dust, baby. Shadows and dust. That's true. It is all we are. Um, There's nothing more. But I really fucking like it. I will watch this at any any point. Um, as far as like a rating, I'm going a hard four out of five, pushing up on four and a half. I just like it. Yeah, it is an eminently likable movie. About as likable as it gets. Like we said before, you can just pop it on any time. It is one of the most watchable movies. I was reminded of that last night. I was uh. I was being lazy, kept putting off watching it for the podcast. So I get to the point where I'm like, I'm like, oh, I got to start this movie. And it's like past midnight and I'm going to be at work in the morning. And I pop it on. And as soon as I pop it on, I'm sucked in. I'm like, oh, I forgot that this is just like an extremely gripping movie from minute mm-hmm. one. It's going. It just pa- it just washes away. Next thing I know, it's 3 a.m. And I'm like, well, that was amazing. I didn't know that. <laughs>
Yeah, that's good. I mean, I will always value that kind of like minute to minute filmmaking. Yeah. And that's what the podcast is about. I think that's the like Gladiator. We we debated doing it as the first movie on the podcast because it is one of those like kind of core dad core movies. It is it is so watchable. It is a it is a capital C cable classic. Mm hmm as cable classic as it gets. I'm also a hard four. Like this is a, I'm like, like butting up on a five, uh, kind of like want to, but like, it's, it's like a four for me. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. It's just, it, it, the weakest part of the movie is a script and the script does not matter to this movie because the good parts of this movie aren't the story. Like who cares? I want to watch this guy gladiate. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, the script does give you some, some good lines, some quotable good lines, good, and and it's got the story beats. It's just it, you can tell it very much does feel like a movie that started without a script and had to piece together the story and characters as it goes because no one is as developed as they could be mm-hmm. in a movie that maybe had a, a more developed script beforehand. But that doesn't matter because it is such an eminently watchable film. Mm-hmm. I just want to watch Russell Crowe gladiate things. That's the appeal of movies to me. Yep, you can't ask for much more. You can't ask much more than a guy having his vengeance in this life or the next. He has it in this life. Funny enough. He did it. He might get it in the next in the sequel. Gladiator 2, The Next Life. We didn't talk about that. The, the Nick Cave sequel sounds crazy, but apparently the real sequel's on the way. They, they announced it last year. I forgot. They, they like said, well, we're back on. We're doing Gladiator 2. Who is? Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe. Cool. I hope we get the uh, Prometheus of Gladiator. I hope we get the elements of the i hope they bring him back from the life uh back from the dead like like nick cave wanted to do in his script that'd be cool some very whack like we go to the afterlife we pull him back get the gods involved get the gods involved have him fight the gods just do god of war no one can tell me they don't want to see ridley scott direct russell crowe fighting zeus could be good i mean they've had some less than successful team-ups since gladiator yeah they kind of did it again in robin hood yeah which is kind of just gladiator. Yeah. The the one that actually is very dour and bleak. Yeah. That one is kind of a downer. So it's not bad, though. Yeah, I don't have much memory of it. Yeah, I saw it once in theaters. It was fine. That was my memory of it. I was like, yeah, I like watching Russell Crowe be <laughs> Robin Hood. I wish I liked the movie more. Mm. Well, hopefully we'll like next week's movie, which is... Yep, next week we're watching Last Man Standing. Uh, hitting a Bruce Willis in honor of his retirement. Uh, Bruce Willis uh, in a Walter Hill film doing doing a Yo Jimbo is my understanding Prohibition era Yo Jimbo. It sounds great. It sounds like a lot of good things. I have been meaning to watch it for ages. Yeah, never seen it. Know nothing about it. First, I'm hearing first I'm hearing of this. Uh, it's not the TV show starring Tim Allen. It is the 1996 film starring Bruce Willis. Yeah, so if you're watching along for the podcast, uh, you don't have to watch a. Tim yeah, Allen. You don't have to watch sitcom. like 300 episodes of a sitcom. Yeah. You can if you want to. I'm not going to stop you. I will, actually. Okay. That's <laughs> um, Yeah. See y'all next week. We'll be. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at uh, Dadcore Cinema. That's right. You can follow me at That One Guy 64. Again, I am Brandon. Twitter's Brandon. And you can follow me, Charlie, the Tumboy. Little puppy dog with glasses. Mm-hmm. Goggles? Goggles goggles all right strength and honor brandon strength and honor bye bye